Hello, fellow Kentuckians and other friends, and welcome to a new edition of my old Kentucky podcast. My name is Robert Connie, and this week there is no Jasmine. Never fear, though, the second half of the show will be done with Olivia Croth, a journalist with the Courier Journal, and we talked about the Republican gubernatorial debate that happened on KET last night, May the 1st. It was a wild one. They were very, very much up in each other's faces, yelling. Uh, Eric Dieters was there, which made it even more hostile than it probably should have been. And Olivia Croth and I talked through all of that. Who were the winners and losers? Um, who came out looking better than they did going in? Um, who was able to capitalize on the time that they were able to spend there? And kind of just like, what is the point of these debates these days? Uh, it was a good discussion. We talked for about half an hour. Uh, she's very, very smart. One, the, the, one of the best writers about Kentucky politics doing it uh, these days. So I was very happy to have her on the show. So definitely stick around and listen to that but before we have that discussion i wanted to talk a little bit about craig greenberg's first budget proposal for the city of louisville which came out this week so i'll be talking a little bit about that and then just a couple of louisville public safety updates um different issues mostly around policing that have been in the news recently so uh, all right, let's talk a little bit about this budget proposal. So it is budget season for Louisville. You know, it happens every year. Unlike the state, we have a budget that comes out every year. And newly elected Mayor Craig Greenberg released his first budget proposal since winning the mayorship in November. I think it is the first city budget above a billion dollars. It's $1.1 billion. And last year, I think it was like 870 something million. So it definitely increased to more than a billion. And I think it is for the first time. So in his budget address to Metro Council, Craig Greenberg spoke first and for the most time uh, on any issue about public safety. So he spent more time talking about public safety than any issue. It was very similar to his campaign themes, talking about the critical role of the police while acknowledging that we can't, quote, police our way to improved safety. Um, You know, nuancing issues around the police and public safety has been something that Craig Greenberg has tried to do throughout his political career uh, as it has existed for over the past year or so and, and you know in my opinion he's done a pretty good job of it i do think most people's views on these issues are pretty nuanced even if many people are on like the you know all cops are bad or we need to back the blue um that's not most people i think most people are in the middle and i think that's where craig greenberg tries to govern from Uh, In addition to talking about the police quite a bit and public safety, he did also frame investments into things like Metro Parks and the library as investments in public safety, which I think is a great way to, you know, justify investments into things that are important to our community. And I think that that's true. It's not in a misdirection. I think those are really investments in public safety, uh, in addition to being important parts of of our community that need more investment. Greenberg also talked about his, his budget's investments into LMPD, uh, which were substantial homelessness and a department of transportation. So that's kind of like what his budget address was about. But the details of the plan as laid out in the actual uh, budget document are that the budget will spend about $7 million, $6.8 million more for LMPD. 
The things that they're going to be spending that money on is recruiting new officers, replacing gear, and purchasing license plate readers. Within that $6.8 million, also $2.13 million would go towards about 30 positions for implementing the DOJ reforms that were laid out uh, you know, in the Merrick Garland report uh, you know, before the city actually even goes on a show, claw, show cause, uh, you know, that, that situation, uh, the, these positions would be there for implementing some of those reforms. And also $500,000 would go towards a wellness center, which I'll get into in the next segment. One of the largest increases in the budget was just for downtown. That was the name of the superheading, downtown. So the budget actually calls for $8 million for a downtown revitalization fund, $6 million for grocery store subsidies downtown, and $4.6 million for improved lighting, among you know other investments. That's not all that's in there, but those are the big ticket items. The idea behind the downtown revitalization fund is quote, housing and businesses that will bring jobs. So so that is the idea there. You know, the that's what we're going to be spending this downtown revitalization fund on. I'm not totally sure how it's going to get earmarked if there's a group that's going to be doing that. I, I think that that's probably going to be like a board or something that does some of that. But that's a pretty significant chunk of change. And, you know, I think that this also is reflective of the issues that we've heard repeated in the community quite a bit that, you know, downtown is not quite what it has been what it should be and that we need to do more to to do to revitalize it to to bring it back to life after covid and after you know the difficult uh period that we had from 2020 um uh, through the end of the pandemic the very largest increase in expenditures though in this budget was 15 million dollars in new money for an affordable housing trust fund and that is part of nearly 25 million dollars in new money for dealing with homelessness and affordable housing um, several of these ideas were covered in our segment about louisville's housing plan several weeks ago so go back in the show archives if you want to hear, hear a detailed breakdown of the plan but you know i do think that these issues are the ones that at least I have heard the most talked about or heard the most and people have been wanting to talk about the most, uh, you know, in, in the past year, as far as I can tell. Um, so he is, I think, on the pulse of, of the city and uh, which issues need to get dealt with. This budget is an increase of 3.5% over the last budget, but it also leaves the city with $84 million in the rainy day fund, which is would be the largest amount in the city's history. So, you know, we have the money to spend, and I am glad that we are making these investments. You know, the, this budget is clearly reflective of the mayor's priorities as laid out in his general election campaign. I wish there were more investments into things like pre-K, which was a major priority, a primary promise, a promise he made quite a bit, quite a few times during the Democratic primary when he was running against people to his left. But I do think it's impossible to say that public safety and homelessness are not at the top of most Louisvillians' minds this year, even if they aren't necessarily issues that I think we should prioritize as highly as other people. I do think that this is reflective of where the city is and that's why the mayor is is dealing and spending so much money on these issues in the particular ways that he's spending the money. Um yeah, you know, it is an extension of his personality that led to his election in the first place. That's that's kind of the, the other thing I'll say there. Um you know, I don't personally think the police need a new gym or an increase in their budget, uh but you know, they that that the LMPD budget does already take up half of the city's spending already. But, you know, that's a minority opinion that that's just kind of what we're faced with. 
Okay, so that was the, the mayor's budget proposal. So that is where we'll leave that. And the second thing I wanted to talk about were a couple of public safety updates. So first of all, Louisville commissioned an investigation into the Metro jail last year after 13 people died in its custody in a short period of time. It was released to the public last week. The report included a lot of details, a lot of backing information, a lot of context. But I, I think from reading it, the main issues that I read about were the facility itself, COVID and staffing leading to the disasters that happened there. Many progressive groups across the state have opposed building a new jail, which is an idea that has been floating around for a while. And for his part, Mayor Greenberg said his plan is to improve the facility at the current jail and to try to deal with the, the physical plant that exists there now, as opposed to building something new. Um, I, I think Jasmine might want to talk some more about this next week, so we'll leave it there. Um, but that report is published. It does exist in the world, and there have been several write-ups of it. Um, so that is what I'll say this week. Also, Louisville's Metro Council approved $15 million in ARP, American Rescue Plan, uh, those are federal funds. Uh, those $15 million are going towards renovating the LMPD headquarters and to lease a new wellness center for the department. That is what that $500,000 in uh, the budget that I mentioned in the first segment go, goes towards operating. This, though, is actually establishing the headquarters itself and, and this wellness center. Um, you know, the city and the police department frame this as a win-win. Um, and one of the things that they said was... Uh, that there would be mental health services provided that, quote, they might not otherwise pursue, unquote, they being the police officers in this situation. And, you know, lots of folks um, did not agree that it was a win-win. Um, you know, do the police need a new $15 million facility? Could $15 million in ARP funds be spent on something other than the police in the community to do something different? Potentially. But I do think that, um, you know, if we're going to spend $15 million on the police, uh, you know, the renovations and helping them get more mental health care is not a bad use of funding if it has to go to the police. So that is where that is. And then lastly, uh, Nicholas Wilt, who was the officer who was critically wounded in the old National Bank mass shooting. Um, there was reports last week that he's making progress towards recovery. They said he opened his eyes this week, which is great news. That's great news. Um, really hoping that he's able to pull through, of course, just a super tragic situation um, for him and for all the people who lost people. Um, so, so any amount of just silver lining that we can find at all in that situation is something that we we should cling to the Louisville Metro Police Foundation said that he was in critical but stable condition. So, uh, you know, we're hoping for his continued recovery. Okay, that is all I really wanted to talk about besides the debate that uh, Olivia Croth and I discussed. So, there you go. Let's go ahead and get to our discussion with Olivia Croth. Olivia Croth is a politics reporter at the Courier Journal. She joined that beat in the fall of 2022 after spending more than four years covering education in Louisville at both the Courier Journal and Insider Louisville. She's from Northern Kentucky and a graduate of the University of Louisville. And according to Leo Weekly in 2022, she has the best Twitter in the area. And according to me, she has the best TikTok in the state. We asked her here to talk about the GOP debate that happened on Monday, May the 1st. So Olivia Croth. Welcome to my old Kentucky podcast. Yay. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we're thrilled to have you on. Uh, you know, 
Jasmine and I are both big fans, so she's going to be sad she missed it. Um, I I don't usually watch any debates, um, so I had to watch this one because Jasmine's not here, but I couldn't talk about it by myself, and you always have some of the best commentary about these debates, so I w- I'm glad that you've decided to join us or agree to join us. So, you know, last night's debate, <laughs> in my opinion, was I think probably the most combative forum that we've seen so far uh, for the the. Republicans running for the nomination. So from your perspective, thinking about like the biggest picture possible, who walks out of this the winner and who walks out of it the loser? Did anybody look stronger coming in than they did coming out? Yeah, I mean, I, I thought about this a lot, like last night during the debate, this morning, all day today, and I, I really struggled to see how anyone truly won. I think it, when you look at it um, at different perspectives and different angles, like Oh, this person might have won in this like one part of it, um, but it really, it all really depends. I think there is a clear loser though, and that's the 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 pretty still sizable like um, group of people who are undecided Republican voters in Kentucky. I think, of course, the most recent polling we have is actually an internal poll um, from a pro Cameron pack, but even with that, it's still around like 20% of Republicans Mm -hmm. say that they're undecided right now. This is the last major statewide debate with all the major candidates there. And I I feel like it was a a missed opportunity for a lot of uh, the candidates to really reach those voters and for the voters to hear from those candidates. Yeah, you mentioned that it is kind of the last time that we're going to see everybody on stage together. And it might be if I'm remembering, I mean, in terms of a debate, maybe the only time I think there's been a couple of forums where they've kind of taken turns speaking, but this is the only time where they've really been able to ask each other questions and been in a moderated forum. You said that, you know, nobody really came out of this a winner. Is that just a symptom of debates? Like, has there been a debate on any level, you know, national, state, local, that you feel like has been valuable, has provided any kind of value to these races, uh, you know, recently? Or is that is that just kind of a dying art form in American politics? Sure. I think considering the, the forums to be also debates, I think that the, the first two of the three kind of major debates forums, those being the Spectrum one with Jefferson County's um, Republican Party, KSR and then KET. Um, I think the first two obviously were structured very differently. They were very rigid when it comes to time and they were much more policy focused. I think that those were more helpful um, in different ways. I think KSR's was a little bit more conversational um, and showed a little bit of the personalities of each candidate. I think um, the Spectrum one was really great about, you know, establishing a policy base for a lot of these people because it was the first one. Um, But in terms of an actual like go Adam debate. Like, I don't know, like really how you gained anything other than just kind of like comedic fodder from what happened last night, um, which is really a shame. But um, when a lot of people have talking points and they stick to them and they ignore the question and, you know, it just uh, yell at each other and they yell over the moderator and they yell at, you know, 
the sky like it's it's not particularly helpful yeah i I agree i mean i have some of my favorite memories uh in kentucky politics are watching some of these ket debates and i would say i you know i haven't really enjoyed watching one in several years uh and and i do just think i don't know i don't know debates maybe it's the candidates that we have running for office these days and maybe that'll change but yeah i i would say right now i'm i'm not really enjoying watching that that type of uh interaction with with voters these days but um, you know, polling leads us to believe that this election is probably a two-person race. And you mentioned how there is a lot of undecided vote, and that is true. There is plenty of room for a Ryan Quarles who has a ton of money in the bank or, you know, I don't know, you know, who knows? You wrote a story about Alan Keck uh, this morning, so maybe he's going to yeah. come out of nowhere. Uh, you know, nowhere for most people. He was on our show, so we were happy about that. Um, you know, there's there's plenty of space for that to happen, but I do think, like, looking at the lay of the land it seems like it, it probably might it, it could be a two-person race i think that's fair to say um and last night was really the first time that we'd seen the two of them kind of go at each other a little bit there's been actually quite a there's just a few times that we've even seen them together at all um do you feel like you know you said nobody really walked out a winner overall do you feel like one of those two people looked better than the other mm. and i thought about this a lot i i because it really does come down to perspective. And I think because of Eric Dieter's being there, and that has its own, that's a completely other thing. Um, Cameron was able to kind of walk away. He kind of made his point occasionally, but he he, he really like didn't have to fight his fight. Mm. And I think a lot of people thought it was going to be a little bit uglier between the two and it definitely was ugly but it wasn't like as bad as it could have been um so you could definitely see throughout the debate that there were times where daniel cameron was just kind of sitting there chilling and he didn't have to defend himself he didn't have to you know go after anybody so he didn't look bad um so that was definitely um something i picked up on and then i think with with kelly craft obviously like there was a whole discussion kind of forced by Dieters about the woman card, right? And right. it's, it's mm-hmm. really been, I mean, obviously once Savannah Maddox dropped out months ago, Kraft was and still is like the only woman in the race. And it hasn't come up like a crazy amount. I think it definitely is like there, but it hasn't come up too, too, too much before last night. And um, so it is very difficult to judge how a woman performed um, because then it turns into like it did last night. Like how, how did she respond? Like what was her emotional reaction? And I think that she held her own when Eric Dieters was like yelling at her. Um, and she seemed it, that is a very, very fine line to walk. And there's often no way to win as a woman. You can either be, you stand up for yourself and you're too emotional um, and you're too angry. Or if you don't say anything, you just let them speak. You're a doormat. And how are you going to ever run like and win and successfully hold office if you're like that? And I think that she did it with grace. I think she handled it well. Um, and then she even brought up additional strong women. So I thought that would, that part, um, as somebody who has watched her campaign pretty closely, like she has not really addressed that until last night. So it was nice to have her like say it and handle it as 
as she did. Sure. And I am kind of interested in how that plays in different types of elections, because I do think if you're talking about a general election, that's one thing. If you're talking about a Democratic primary, that's a very different thing. And now but this raises a Republican primary. Uh, And, and, you know, the the use of the term woman card, which is something that Eric Dieter said in the middle of a debate yesterday, like that would be. I mean, shocking, right, in in a general election. It would be beyond the pale in a Democratic primary. At least this is my perspective. Do you think that, like, because it's a Republican primary and the people who are going to be voting in this, does it does it sound different? Does it does it work differently um, the way that she reacted and the way that she was based on the type of election that it is? Ooh, that's a tough question. I'm, I'm not really sure because I think if, if you're looking at that and you're looking at the people who are looking at how she reacted and really just the Dieters versus Kraft situation in general, um, and you're a Republican voter, like that's, I think there were a fair amount of people who were kind of like, they weren't really interested in her holding her own. Mm-hmm. They weren't really interested. Um, they, were, they kind of fell into two camps. There was the one side where it was like, Eric Dieters is a bully and, you know, a good Kentucky gentleman knows that you don't cut off a woman. Right. And then you have um, a sizable camp who was like, finally, somebody's putting craft in her place because this is the first time we're up. They've really had an opportunity on a big stage to challenge some of these things um, that people find so, so difficult about her. But um, I, I don't know. I think it, I'm sure there is a, some sort of, group of voters in the Republican party that where, um, you know, Eric Dieter's being like, Oh, well she played the woman card and she was like, they will look past his behavior and focus on what he says about her behavior without paying attention to her actual behavior. Yeah. Um, One of the things that Eric Dieters did, and this is kind of honing in on something you had just said, and one of the things that Eric Dieters did say in the midst of the many things he said last (laughs) night, um, was that, you know, Kelly Craft is happy to run this extraordinarily negative campaign against Daniel Cameron um, and, and say a lot of things that are, are, I mean, misinformation, just in terms of the things that she says about him and Merrick Garland or comparing him, giving him the, the ACLU bear or, or whatever, which I guess was her super yeah. PAC, but, you know, yeah. uh, being funded inside of her home. Um, you know, th- there's a, this this campaign that she's running against Daniel Cameron, and then Eric Dieters is attacking Kelly Craft, um, and, you know, she is responding um, by saying, you know, you sh- uh, you know we're not going to talk about this. This is inappropriate. Uh, I mean, do you think that there is uh, any level of, you know, appropriateness Maybe not in the way that he said things or maybe not the way that he came across, but, you know, uh, what do you think about the way that she's run her campaign and then the way that she reacted to when she was hit and and kind of the same way? Maybe not the same way. Maybe that's a difference. I mean, what do you think? Hmm. Yeah, I think I, 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 I'll be honest. You mentioned my profile of Alan Keck. I have uh, I, I was also responsible for Kelly Craft's profile, which I finished my draft of just like a few hours ago. And it comes out on Thursday. Um, but I, I keep going back to a quote from actually Al Cross that I found when I was reporting it that calls Kraft's uh, campaign a fabulously funded falsehood flaunting, maybe, campaign. <laughs> it had some alliteration in there. And I feel like that's, you know, I, I think that's 
it's definitely fabulously funded. I'll say that. And I think there have been a lot of falsehoods and I think there, you know, I, I deal with facts. That's my job. And I think there is a, I think this whole thing would just be a lot easier if everybody else dealt with facts as well. Um, it was just like, yeah, you know what? Maybe it is a little much to, to ask uh, Daniel Cameron to single-handedly stop the DOJ um, from coming into Louisville. I think that might be, um, might be a bit much, you know, I think, um, I, I wasn't, I think there was, it's good that somebody challenged her on some of this stuff because it is factually inaccurate or it's misleading or it's, you know, it's, it's (laughs) just like, it's not totally completely true, but I, I don't know if I, really loved the way the the yelling and then the not really directly answering anything from like multiple parties you know it feels like we just kind of we had something that could have been a good fact checking moment and then we didn't really capitalize on it but i understand that that's politics mm-hmm. um the point is not to be right the point is to be like look good and win your battle um yeah so, yeah yeah um okay so we and we talked about about the truthfulness and uh, them getting pushed on on issues but i do want to hone in on eric dieters a little bit more who was a very strange presence last night um i'm deeply distasteful like i just was like Honestly, I was listening in headphones on my computer and I had to like put them around my neck. You know, I was like, I can't even listen to this. It's so bad. Um, but, uh, you know, he, he was invited uh, because of his fundraising advantage he has over, you know, Mike Harmon wasn't there. Probably wish those two could have been swapped personally. That's just my opinion. Um, and he, he definitely took the debate into weird places, uh, <laughs> which the KET debates have a history of doing. You know, I, I'll remember 2007, Gatewood Galbraith being up there with, you know, like Steve Bashir and Jonathan Miller and Bruce Lunsford and all those people and, and playing, a, you know, a similar role, if much more sane and uh, clear headed. But it was very strange to me how Eric Dieters continuously was like running interference for Daniel Cameron. Uh, and I don't know if that's necessarily just because he finds Kelly Kraft more distasteful. He just doesn't like what she stands for or what. Um, he he didn't go after Daniel Cameron in quite the same way. Uh, but, I mean, what did you think about, like, the way that that worked? And did his presence, you know, did it did it ultimately help Daniel Cameron or did it just, like, tear everybody down and, and give <laughs> Andy Bashir an advantage moving forward? Right. I think... Um... I think Dieter's, um, his presence was certainly something, certainly was. Um, and I would say it helped two people. Um, it helped Cameron because Cameron didn't have to fight his battles. He didn't have to get his hands dirty. It came out looking like the guy who stuck to his talking points and didn't have to really, really go after anyone. And especially, you know, not, a woman um and Dieter's on the other hand is probably the other winner because he came across exactly how he you know he is authentic right he came across as the brash boisterous kind of like gone rogue type of candidate and he you know he called called whatever out as he saw fit it was his like first chance really to do that on such a public um stage and he capitalized 
Um, and I think there are a lot of people who, of, of course, they probably are already supporting him, but I think there are people who appreciate that. Um, and so I do think that Cameron definitely won from his Dieter's presence. Yeah, it was it was very strange, and, and, and I don't really understand it. I, I do think that there are like a large number of people who would be attracted to Eric Dieters who have no idea who he is because they're not super plugged in. The problem yeah. he has is they're also not watching KET on Monday night, uh, which you know that's, that's uh, that is that is what it is. Um, the other two candidates that were up there, Ryan Quarles and, and Alan Keck, and you know, from my perspective, you know, Ryan Quarles does have a lot of money in the bank, but but just. I, I can't help but just think he has to be disappointed in his showing so far, running so far behind the two top top two candidates when I really felt like it was going to be a three-way race. And then Alan Keck, who, you know, I feel like wanted to catch fire a little bit more than he has. He was kind of hoping that that would happen. And, of course, he's, you know, stuck behind Eric Dieters in most of the polling that we've seen so far. And, and both of these are really heavily – both of these candidates are kind of heavily dependent on these forums to raise their profile and get their message out to more people. Uh, you know, they were able to talk – a good amount but with so much of like the circus going on at the other table did anything about those two cut through do you feel like anything uh about the way way that they were able to present themselves is going to help their campaigns as we go into the home stretch here unfortunately no not really i think this was really like if i was ryan corals if i was on keck i would be livid right now um and would have I mean I remember looking at their faces during the debacle when it at when it was at its height and they were not showing anything on their face. I don't know how they did that, but because there's no way that they were just calm about it. Um because these two guys, like you said, they're running from behind. Um they're kind of the underdogs. Um I think obviously Ryan Corals has a ton of endorsements from people who are in various branches of government. Um, also a lot of money, Alan Keck, I think, um, really capitalized off of his performance on the KSR debate. And uh, I know got a lot of attention from that and is hoping for the best with that type of momentum. Um, but these two guys, they, I mean, they made a point of not being jerks during the campaign. And so last night they really had to, you know, weigh within themselves okay, do we want to give up on airtime right now, this like that we desperately need? Or do we want to like, you know, kind of give up on one of our campaign ideals? Um, And then also they're both more policy oriented candidates. I think that their policy platforms, they've made a point of making them more nuanced, Um, especially with Alan Keck who came out with like this really like in-depth thing before you even technically filed and announced, Um, you know, they're more policy oriented. And I think the first two, the spectrum and the KSR debates, just the way they were organized were better suited for explaining policy and being able to attract people based off of the policies that they have. Um, this one was more for like the politics oriented candidates and people who are willing to go into battle. And it, it just like it, the, the night was not for them. And that really is a, a shame. Yeah, it's tough. I mean, this is a, this is a debate that happened on broadcast television, which everybody has access to. I mean, uh, you know, I don't know if it's appointment viewing for 
you know, people beyond like us, but it, yeah. is, uh, it is definitely something that people might stumble across. They may know about it and it is kind of tough for them. Um, you know, but I, I am kind of, I don't know, you know, I'm not a Republican. I typically don't, I, I don't like get along with every Republican and I definitely don't get along with like the Daniel Cameron's Kelly Crafts and, and Eric Dieter fans in the world. Um, but I mean, is this just an example of kind of like, the evolution of the Republican party in the age of Donald Trump, where like, this is what gets attention. And and, I mean, Democrats certainly aren't immune from this either. There's, there's definitely like a lot of fireworks and, and politics that go on in the debates on the democratic side too. Is this just kind of like the direction that debates are heading in? Is this why I don't like to watch them anymore? I mean, is this, is this what it is now or, or is there room for more policy focused things in a debate like this one, or does it need to be a forum like the, the other two were? Yeah, I think, um, you know, I was kind of talking to my editor the other day and I was pointing out that like, some of the things that I feel like Kelly Craft has especially had, we were specifically talking about like the Jack Harlow incident um, from the back picture in February. From the GLI event. Is that what you're talking about? Like the, what was that? like the picture from the GLI event. Is that your, yeah, the well, Jack Harlow like, incident? She had a staffer, like take it from and, like you. He looked deeply and, uncomfortable. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so I was talking to him and I just kind of was like, it feels like it's stuff like that's kind of from, almost like the Trump playbook um, where you do stuff that might not necessarily be flattering to you, but you know, it's going to get attention and therefore people will be paying attention to you. And um, so I think that's partially why some of the Jack Harlow, or I mean, not some of both of the Jack Harlow photos are still there on her profile. Um, The campaign, to their credit, um, has not mentioned the newest album, and that's, you know, we'll we'll just look past that. But, um, yeah, I think debates, when you have any sort of attention-grabbing anything, and that, that, you know, that fighting is more attention-grabbing than your policies, um, it's, you know, people are going to gravitate towards that. It's just kind of how it goes, I think, um, I think honestly, it's, we're gonna either need to just like stop the debates or let them just like happen as they are, um, or really lean more into the kind of forum setting where it's meant to inform voters which i think is the point of what a debate should be well that that's it right what is the point of this <laughs> and it yeah. is kind of like politics as entertainment is definitely something that we contend with like we we have a pretty boring show and i know that other shows are a lot more exciting than ours and like you know i don't want to you know i don't want to do that and i i mean i think you know jasmine and i that's not what we want to do and i do think that like that's something that we deal with on a regular basis is just like um, there are people that are interested in politics because it's how we form our society. And then there are people who are like setting all that aside and watching it for its entertainment value, which is something that's happened throughout the history of democracy, modern democracy in America uh, from time to time. But, uh, you know, it is it is something that we are certainly going to have to deal with as we move forward for sure uh the depending on who wins these general election debates could be really wild as well um we'll see how how that goes but i am kind of i'm curious about that as well so like from 
a Democratic perspective. And, and I honestly, I have heard this from some Republicans that, that they think that this this primary and especially how Kelly Kraft has acted in the past like month and a half has pushed this field really far to the right, especially Daniel Cameron, Kelly Kraft, and, you know, Eric Dieters has kind of just always been out there and everything. Uh, and, you know, how much does this actually play into Andy Bashir's hands? Uh, as a Democrat, you know, we cling to whatever hope we have in 2023, as there is not a lot of power to be shared. We live in a very conservative state. Um, is the idea that this contentious primary might help Andy Bashir is that overblown? Or do you think that this is going to help Andy Bashir uh, as we roll into the general election? I mean, I, I don't think that it's necessarily going to help him. I'm not seeing any sort of wave right now. Granted, we don't have the Republican nominee sorted out. So if it happens to be like Eric Dieters, like that might change. Um, you know, so it's I, I'm not seeing any sort of thing that's really pushing people who would typically vote Republican towards Bashir because of this infighting. I mean, the GOP infighting has been increasingly common in Frankfurt for the, the past few years. Um, so this is, you know, this is not necessarily anything new. Um, I know that the GOP has had, I think they're supposed to have some sort of post-primary unifying gathering because ultimately like their goal is to demolish Bashir. Um, but I, I mean, like, I don't know how much energy there is to really do that right now. Um, considering so much of the Republican energy has been focused on the primary. Um, obviously Bashir is really popular. He's going to be hard to beat. Um, and the, the Mason Dixon poll from January, which kind of had all these, you know, potential matchups showed him, winning by several percentage points um, against all the major GOP candidates. So is it going to really hurt him? I don't think so, but I mean, I don't know. I will say for, you know, for all the faults of this debate, um, you know, Renee Shaw was able to ask very direct questions about policy issues that put some of these candidates on the back foot, Um, especially around gun policy, where every single one of the candidates came out in favor of campus carry, which I don't I mean, I, you know, guns as an overall issue probably pulls better in Kentucky than it does most other places. But I don't know about campus carry um, as even like the the guns being used in the mass shooting. um, Only Alan Keck uh, said that he was opposed to it. There were several other kind of moments in this debate where she was able to ask very directly in a Republican primary where these people stood on these issues, and they basically had to give Republican primary answers. Um, so, you know, that beyond just the infighting, the actual policy that wa- they did talk about, like, do you feel like that that type of stuff is pushing the field too far to the right, or is Kentucky just a conservative state and that, <laughs> that doesn't really matter at the end of the day? Yeah, I think I wouldn't say it's pushing it too far to the right, but of course that that line and that kind of um scale, I, I don't know, like that has not that you know, that's that whole thing is so blurry. And mm-hmm. so you don't even really know what's considered far right sometimes. Um I would say honestly, it feels almost like Alan Keck has been dragging it a little bit more towards the center at mm-hmm. point um, because you you had 
Um, obviously, like I said, he had his game plan and mm-hmm. that was ready on day one. And you had a lot. It was a very like moderate. Plan. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And um, over time, you've kind of see what's great about having all of your policy ideas out there easily explained from the get go is that you can spend the next several months being like, see, I told you so. And as everybody else kind of adopts various pieces of your, your platform. Um, but I think on the other side, you do have um, like Kelly Kraft has really, especially with the dismantling of KDE and the, the woke commissioner, Jason Glass. Um, once she said that she started pulling people towards that side too. And so now there are people who are like, one of my first actions is this going to be getting rid of Jason Glass. And I'm just like, all of you like don't understand that that's, you can't do that, but that's, you know, whatever. Um, so I think there has been like some push and some pull, but it really does depend on the, I guess the topic. Maybe. Yeah. It, it is kind of funny to me that essentially like the entire reform, the KDE get rid of woke commissioner, Jared Glass uh, is factually inaccurate in terms of what they're able to do, but isn't functionally different than like what Andy Bashir's promise was in his first thing that he would do, which was basically to replace the entire KDE board and <laughs> fire the commissioner. Well, he resigned uh, and then hire a new one, um, which, you know, is how that works. Um, but like they don't want to say that. They just want to say they're going to be doing the firing and they don't care <laughs> that people, you know, care about the details, which is. You know, interesting to me, at least. Um, yeah, I think that, the, and you can definitely make the case that that this um, is what Bashir wanted to do and did do. Um, and then, of course, when you're on the Dem side, it's very um, easy to bring that up and be like, "Hmm, isn't it funny how you want to be Andy Bashir now?" Apparently, so, but. Part well, Andy Bashir wanted to be Matt Bevan before that, right? Because that you know it all just goes back to however long it was. Because you know the reason we had Wayne Lewis is because Matt Bevan replaced the entire board at one point and then fired the commissioner and hired Wayne Lewis, and then we had a new board that got rid of Wayne Lewis and got Jason Jared Commissioner Jason. Glass. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and and you know that's that that this is a really dangerous moment for education just because it's become so politicized uh, and that is also something that's deeply intertwined with the history of kentucky education and politics so yeah i i mean i don't know uh how how it will go but it does certainly seem to be the case that the republicans don't care about how they're framing it um they are happy to say that they're going to be doing the firing even though that's not factually possible right um okay well that debate was interesting it was exciting uh you know we we enjoyed your tweets throughout the whole thing um you mentioned you have your profile of alan keck that was out this morning in the newspaper it was published i guess yesterday um and you have a profile of kelly craft that's coming out soon anything else in the newspaper or other other places that you want to plug before uh, we say goodbye yeah i mean i do actually have i have the third uh gubernatorial candidate profile i have the the mike Harmon profile because we picked the top five before um like months ago and so that one's going to come out tomorrow um, on wednesday i don't know when all this gets mashed up but keck was on tuesday Harmon will be on wednesday um craft will be on thursday so that that's my my reporting that's all going to be on the courier journals website and then of course my my twitter and my tiktok are, are both just my my name so all right 
That's it. All right. Well, Olivia Croft, thank you very much for joining us. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Okay, that brings us to the end of the show. You can find us on Facebook and Twitter at MyOldKYPod. You can sign up for our newsletter at tinyletter.com slash MyOldKentuckyNewsletter. You can support us on Patreon for as little as a dollar a month. Please do that. We appreciate it. And last but not least, um, yeah, we are part of the Dimcast and Forward Kentucky Networks. All right, everybody. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week.